0: Hi, I'm Kathy with a C.
1: And I'm Kathy with a K. And
2: this is Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Albuquerque, New Mexico. As one of the oldest cities in the United States, Albuquerque was officially founded in 1706 and celebrated its tricentennial in 2006. The Rio Grande Valley has been populated dating back to 2000 BC. And when Europeans arrived in the 16th century, the Pueblo people who lived in the area had a sophisticated culture and advanced skills in stonemasonry, ceramics, and a wide range of arts and crafts. Albuquerque is a city of more than 1 million residents and boasts some of the nation's leading high-tech research laboratories. But the cultural traditions that formed the foundation of the city remain important, which is why After an increase of crime in the 1980s and 90s, city leaders made a concerted effort to make Albuquerque a safer place. But very recently, residents learned that those efforts failed to catch a killer who was still living in their midst.
1: Paul Raymond Apodaca and members of his family were no strangers to the Albuquerque Police Department. In 1995, 27-year-old Apodaca pleaded guilty to one count each of criminal sexual penetration and kidnapping that he had committed five months prior against his 14-year-old stepsister. During his sentencing, Apodaca told State District Judge Richard Knowles that he had raped his stepsister so he could go to prison to protect his younger brother. Mark Apodaca is five years younger than Paul and had been sentenced the month prior to 43 years in prison for murdering 17-year-old high school senior Adam Price in 1992. According to newspapers, police believed that Mark, who was 20 at the time, along with his 18-year-old wife Darcy Smith and his brother-in-law Eric Smith, had killed Adam because they thought he was gay. Bernalillo County Assistant District Attorney Mixon said that Paul Apodaca wrote a letter to Judge Knowles and confessed to raping his stepsister so he could go to prison, asking the judge to send him to the same prison as his brother. The plea agreement called for a minimum sentence of nine years and a maximum of 20. The assistant district attorney asked for 24 years, with four years suspended, and the assistant public defender asked for 12 years. Not surprisingly, the stepsister and her father asked for the maximum. Judge Knowles sentenced Paul Apodaca to 20 years. Despite Apodaca's request that he be sent to the same prison as his brother, the judge instead recommended to the Department of Corrections that Apodaca not be housed in the same prison as his brother, saying that he refused to condone Apodaca's conduct. Although judges can make recommendations, placement within the prison system is entirely at the discretion of the Department of Corrections, and in this case, they agreed with Judge Knowles. In a twisted turn of events, Paul and Mark Apodaca's mother, who was, of course, then the stepmother of the victim, told Paul in court that she understood his concern for protecting his younger brother, but wished he had gone about it, quote, in a different way. You think
2: so, mom? Or stepmom, I should say. (laughs) But still.
1: No, that's ridiculous. I just, I couldn't even believe that. No. Apodaca's public defender said that Apodaca's family was, Extremely surprised and distraught that the court only considered one side of the facts, meaning the victims, and that the family members told the court in letters at an open court about what they believed led up to the crimes. So they're all supporting him for what he did and why he did it. And thankfully, her father stood with her. Yes. But oh, my goodness. Yeah.
2: No, what a nightmare.
1: Total nightmare. Paul
2: Apodaca was released from prison in 2011 and under the new law was the first person required to register as a sex offender in Bernalillo County. Nine years later, in April of 2020, Apodaca was arrested for assault with a deadly weapon on a police officer. According to court records, Apodaca pled guilty to aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. He was sentenced to four years With three of those years being suspended, so he had to serve one. But because he had been in jail for a year, he literally had to serve like 22 days at the time he was sentenced.
1: And he was in jail just awaiting the trial, correct? Correct.
2: Correct. So anyway, he was also given three years supervised probation. Apodaca also had to wear an ankle bracelet. Four months into his probation, according to a report written by his probation officer, He was going to live in a homeless shelter. He didn't have anywhere else to go. However, a few days later, the officer received an alert that Apodaca failed to show up at the shelter. His electronic monitoring device showed at that time he was located behind a drugstore near the University of New Mexico campus. Officers with the University of New Mexico Police Department arrested Paul Apodaca on the probation violation, July 20th, 2021. After UNM police officers arrested Apodaca, they turned him over to the Albuquerque Police Department. At that time, they told investigators they believed Apodaca needed mental health attention and appeared to be mumbling incoherently about having information about murders from a long time ago. When Albuquerque detectives put Apodaca in an interview room, they were shocked by the statements he made. Apodaca began confessing to crimes he claimed he committed in the late 1980s and early 1990s, including murder and rape. During that time, Albuquerque had been experiencing a rash of murders, rapes, and attacks that, despite the police department's best efforts remained unsolved.
1: The first murder Apodaca confessed to was the 1988 murder of Althea Oakley. On June 22, 1988, Althea was 21 years old from Arroyo Hondo, New Mexico, about 150 miles northeast of Albuquerque and just outside of the artist enclave Taos. Althea was a student at the University of New Mexico, where she lived off campus in a mobile home with her younger brother, Russell. She had been with her boyfriend, Larry, at a fraternity that night, but they got into an argument because she wanted him to take her to a movie, but he wanted to stay to hang out with his friends at the fraternity because one of his friends was celebrating his birthday. She walked out about 8.15 p.m., presumably heading home. Russell and Larry started searching for her about an hour later, which was about 9.30, when she had not shown up at home, even contacting campus police to let them know to look out for Althea and gave them a description of her. What they could not have known is that Althea had collapsed on the front lawn of a home about a mile south of campus 45 minutes after she had left the fraternity house and was pronounced dead from multiple stab wounds in her upper body at UNM Hospital at 10 p.m. Althea's assailant was described as a Hispanic male in his early 20s, about 5'7 to 5'9, weighing about 150 pounds. He was seen by witnesses fleeing on foot. Apodaca told detectives he was working at the Technical Vocational Institute, now Central New Mexico Community College, as a security guard. When police spoke to Apodaca's former TVI supervisor, he told officers that Apodaca was responsible for supervising the parking lot and was supposed to walk around and, quote, make sure girls got to their cars safely and that no one was breaking into cars, end quote. That scares the crap out of me.
2: I agree. So what trips me about this the most, Kath, is that his job was given to him as part of the work-study program. So, do you... Which is what? Do you... <laughs> <laughs> oh, princess.
1: <laughs> I know what it is. <laughs> uh,
2: did you have work-study? Did you have a work-study job or no? No. Uh, of course not. I had a work-study job. When I was a freshman, <laughs> <laughs> I was assigned to the environmental studies lab because I thought I was going to be a biology major. It took me two weeks to find the lab. It was like in this random building behind the university. <laughs> is math hard, Barbie? <laughs> oh, and biology was hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> After taking a bio class, I'm like, you know... I don't think biology is my thing, (laughs) but literally for my work study, I was in the environmental studies lab with this kooky, like crazy professor type counting water fleas. Like she, yeah. So she would collect water from the Battaquitos Lagoon in San Diego, and she was doing a study on the food chain beginning with water fleas. So literally, (laughs) I had to take droppers of this water and put it in a Petri dish put It under the microscope and count the water fleas.
1: Did they not jump around like normal fleas? Oh no, like- they jump around. They're they're they okay. So,
2: in my head, I'm like, lady, I know that I'm <laughs> screwing this up. Like 112, I, I know I'm getting this wrong, <laughs> and, so, and hence the problem yeah, with science. <laughs> and, and, and so, like, you know, you put a number in the chart and you do all these extrapolations and math. And all, I just remember like thinking, God, I worked five hours counting water fleas, this is a nightmare. And I have this huge, like, Penciled in chart, and I came the next day, and the entire thing had been erased. Duh way, yeah. She saw whatever the heck I thought I was doing, and she was like, "All wrong." It's so did you lose your job? Well, no, I didn't. I don't know why, but I didn't. (laughs) Did she teach you how to do it? But she was totally all. We're gonna have you wash beakers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a huge demotion. I I was like, "Ouch."
2: My my days in the environmental studies lab were numbered. (laughs) (laughs) And it's probably a good thing. Oh, it's such a good thing. Yeah, for sure.
1: In Apodaca's confession, he said that when he saw Althea walking home on the night of June 22, 1988, he had first intended to rape her, but instead decided to stab her to death because of how much hatred he had for women. Quote, I think what made me do it what made me attack her was all all the hatred I had for women because growing up I seen men treated women bad and they they just go for the bad guys and I try to be nice and be good and they just did not want that so I was jealous and had hatred and just released it." End quote. Detectives looking through the case file said that Apadaka provided details of the crime that had not been included in media coverage at the time. Apodaca said he left his watch, one with a sun and a moon on it that his aunt had given him, and a watch that matched that description was found near the blood trail. Apodaca said he was living near the University of New Mexico campus with his brother Mark at the time. Police also talked with neighbors who still lived in the area, as well as his former boss. Albuquerque Police Chief Medina, who had met Althea when he was a teenager growing up in Taos, was actually the first recipient of a scholarship her family had set up in her name. After Apodaca confessed to killing Althea, Chief Medina personally notified her parents that after 33 years, detectives finally had a suspect in custody. The day after Chief Medina had notified Althea's parents, Apodaca was charged with Althea's murder. It was Thursday, August 19, 2021, which would have been Althea's 55th birthday.
2: I love that the chief who got her scholarship was the one who got to tell the parents. I agree. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. The second murder Paul Apodaca confessed to was the 1989 murder of Caitlin Arquette. The Arquette murder case had been one of Albuquerque's most infamous cold cases due to the victim's mother being a high-profile author. Almost a year after Althea Oakley's murder, on July 17, 1989, 18-year-old Caitlin Arquette was found in her car at about 11 p.m. by police officers who were responding to reports of a solo car accident. Caitlin was found dead of two gunshot wounds in the head. So basically, they thought it was a police—I mean, they thought
1: it was a car accident, but then they found her shot. It had been reported as such because witnesses had seen the car driving down the street and then all of a sudden veer off and hit a pole. Mm. And so they assumed either they weren't paying attention, distracted driving, something like that. But when police got there and they looked at her, she had significant blood around her head. Got it, got it, got it.
2: Caitlin had just graduated with honors from Highland High School, but during her senior year, she was concurrently enrolled at the University of New Mexico so she would have a head start toward achieving her dream of becoming a doctor.
1: Wow, what a smarty pants. I
2: know, seriously. Caitlin was also the daughter of author Lois Duncan, a well-known author who wrote books for young adults and was probably best known for writing I Know What You Did Last Summer, a book she wrote in 1974 that was the basis of a 1997 horror movie of the same name. According to an article in Rolling Stone by journalist Andrea Marks, Lois Duncan talked to BuzzFeed's Tim Stello in 2014 about Duncan no longer writing young adult suspense books. Duncan shared that she was devastated after Kate's murder and said, How could I even think about creating a novel with a young woman in a life-threatening situation? Instead, in 1992, Duncan released the nonfiction book, Who Killed My Daughter?, And her 2013 true crime memoir, One to the Wolves, A Desperate Mother on the Trail of a Killer, also relating to her daughter's murder. On the night Caitlin Arquette was killed, witnesses described seeing a gray Volkswagen Beetle near the scene, which was the kind of car Apodaca had. Now, when the police arrived at the scene, Apodaca was standing there. And police interviewed him and, you know, spoke with him and took note of his name. So all these years later, when Apodaca admits to killing her and journalists find out that he was originally one of the people at the scene of her murder, journalists were asking the chief why he wasn't a suspect at the time. And basically, Chief Medina said, hey, I can't give answers for detectives who were investigating a case 32 years ago. The chief also reminded them that it's not like now where you could put somebody's name in a database and come up with a bunch of things. He basically said, hey, technology was limited. They didn't have access to the information that we have today. So back at the time of Caitlin's murder, police charged two men with the crime, although the charges were later dropped because of lack of evidence. Bonjour, parlez-vous français? Me neither, (laughs) despite the fact that I paid for it in college, which is why I need Rosetta Stone, and so do you.
1: As you all know, I've used Rosetta Stone in the past for my German, and it's wonderful. And in fact, my niece is going to be studying abroad this fall, and she's going to be using Rosetta Stone so that she can learn the language and have a much more enriching experience while she's abroad. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered.
2: And they have speech recognition, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation.
1: They also have two different options available to use it. It's available both on your desktop and through an app.
2: Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Killer Destinations listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today.
0: So Lois
2: Duncan, the author, Caitlin's mom, believed that those arrests had been made too quickly in an effort to resolve the case and call it solved. She was very critical of the lack of progress and what she perceived to be weak efforts by law enforcement. And so she spent subsequent decades investigating the case herself with her family.
1: So, Kath, on that note, I saw a website that the family had set up back Probably a couple of decades ago. It doesn't look like it's been updated since 2016. But this was back when Caitlin's family was looking into what possibly could have happened. Mm -hmm. So, as you said, her mom was very critical of the police efforts. This website actually said that they think she was killed because she was a whistleblower on drug activities that had been happening in the city. They believed there was an official cover-up going on with Caitlin's case, and it was their hope that putting it on the Internet would keep that information out there and maybe have other people react to what they'd seen. According to the website, in the months directly preceding her murder, Caitlin was in a position to have gained information about a bunch of illegal activities that were involving dangerous and corrupt individuals, and most of them were politicians and high-ranking leaders in the city. Okay, so how? How is she getting this information? So Caitlin was living with her boyfriend at the time. He was Vietnamese. And apparently some of the activities that he was involved in with a larger gang that was in Albuquerque involved Asian crimes in New Mexico and California, drug smuggling, drug activities involving New Mexico VIPs and police corruption. Now, again, I'm just reporting what the website said.
2: Basically, what I'm hearing is that her boyfriend was...
1: A Vietnamese gangster exactly okay and very involved in it according to the website
2: okay but but if she did it say that she was actually reporting information to the police or was this total speculation
1: well it said that she had been gathering information so that she could go to the police but her problem was she believed that there was corruption on the force and didn't know who to take the information to
2: okay are we saying that the mom author believed there was corruption on the force or the daughter
1: the mom is reporting that that's what the daughter believed. But I think the key to the boyfriend's involvement and why she was worried is that she was trying to break up with him. In addition to the mom's comments about suspected Vietnamese gangs, they also listed other suspects, including Hispanic hitmen. It does not say why. Okay. Paul Apodaca, because he was the first at the scene. Okay. And corrupt cops.
2: Did she have any specific information about the police or Paul Apodaca on the website?
1: Yes. Actually, on all of them, they have information, but it's really more of it's speculation. OK. There's nothing that were notes from Caitlin. There's nothing like that. And like I said, this hasn't been updated, it looks like, since 2016, which is when Caitlin's mom passed away. Ah, OK.
2: But in other words, like Paul Apodaca is listed on this website well before he is arrested and confessed. And that is simply based on the fact that he was first at the scene. Correct. OK. And then
1: the whole dirty cop thing. This has to do with some of the information Lois Duncan said her daughter Caitlin had that. But it was nonspecific. Yeah, nothing specific. L- like in other words, She didn't have names and places and dates and times. But the implication
2: was that the police were working with the gangs. Yes. I see. OK, got it. After Apodaca confessed to murdering Caitlin, Caitlin's sister Carrie said she is still waiting for answers as to why police did not solve the case sooner when the suspect was there the night of the crime. Quote, this confession is just a start. The family has innumerable questions. The whys and in the house and a lot of blanks to be filled in before we can sit back and think that justice has been served. It's been too many years since we've been trying to fill in those blanks by ourselves, unquote.
1: Three months after Paul Apodaca's first murder confession, and while he was still incarcerated, Apodaca confessed to a third murder, that of 13-year-old Stella Gonzalez. In the early morning hours of September 9th, Stella and a friend had been walking near their homes just after 1 a.m., And I got to tell you, when I was first thinking about this, I thought 13 and you're walking at 1 a.m. by yourself. But then I thought about Kathy with a C and I have no doubt (laughs) she would have been out at 1 (laughs) a.m.
2: I would have been out with there's another Kathy with a K and you know who she is. You know, we, we would sneak out of our windows and go to each other's houses in the middle of the night. Or go get French fries at a local restaurant. I mean, we were just dumb.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just dumb. Dumb's a good word. But I just that's exactly what you would have done.
2: Oh yeah, totally. I, I really didn't do it that much. But
1: But the fact that you still did it. Yeah. It, it would not have occurred to me when I was thirteen. Or... Dude, you didn't go to a liquor store until
2: you're like thirty-four <laughs> years old. So there's a lot of stuff that wouldn't have occurred to you. I want to say something, though. Like One time, Kathy and I did sneak out. Not this Kathy, but my other Kathy oh, I was friend. I like, I
1: never stuck out yeah, with you.
2: No. And we walked over to the hill to that restaurant. We had French fries and we thought we were like so fun and so sneaky. And as we were leaving, there was somebody there and he was like, oh, would, would you ladies like a ride home? Oh. And he had a pickup truck.
1: Don't tell me you said yes. We did.
2: But listen to this. We're like, Oh, but we can't get in the cab of the truck with you.
1: Oh, yeah. Much safer not being there. So
2: so we got in the bed of his pickup truck thinking how fun we're now going to get a ride in the bed of a pickup truck. Well, this truck, God only knows what kind of truck it was, but basically the bed of the truck started raising almost like a dump truck. He's driving, whatever, 35, 40 miles an hour. And the back of the pickup truck, he starts raising it to scare us. So we're holding on to the you know, to the truck as the bed is raising as though it's going to dump us out. I mean, it had a door, but it wasn't, it was so scary. So, so we're hanging on to it, screaming. He gets over the bridge and stops the truck and we hop out and run like we have never run before. And he was laughing. We could hear him laughing. We talked about it a lot after that and we think he was trying to teach us a lesson, like Don't be so stupid as to take rides from strangers.
1: So getting back to the story. Yes. According to 13-year-old Stella's friend, three men had driven by the girls and tried to get them to get into the car with them. Both girls refused and the car drove off, but returned a short time later. One of the car's occupants fired at least two shots, both of them striking Stella in the back of the head. Tragically, Stella died two days later. Journalist Elise Kaplan reported that Albuquerque Police Department Deputy Commander Kyle Hartsock said Apodaca could not tell them Stella's name, but did provide details about the crime that matched the crime scene nearly perfectly. There was no indication that Apodaca knew Stella, but once again, he was targeting a female who was in a vulnerable position.
2: I tried so hard to find more information on this little girl, and there was... Nothing. Right. Any article about it had like two sentences. You know, she was walking down the street with her friend and she was shot. It was strange, I thought, how how little information was out there about this.
1: I wonder if it's because this was during a high crime period in Albuquerque and because they didn't know who it was and they didn't have any suspects.
2: But I also wonder if it was because of her age. I, I don't know. It could have been. Maybe they didn't want to be as intrusive. I, I, I honestly, I have no idea. But I, I was shocked at the dearth of information. Commander Hartsock shared that the Albuquerque PD was talking with the FBI and the FBI was going to be looking into Apodaca in terms of victimology. Based on the fact that Apodaca's victims were picked for their characteristics rather than any prior interactions with them, led police to believe that Paul Apodaca was a serial killer. All of his victims were females in vulnerable circumstances at the time who were seemingly isolated and his only reason for choosing them was opportunity and his hatred of females. Sex crimes detectives were also investigating Apodaca's claim that he committed rapes in the 1980s and 1990s. Gilbert Gallegos, an Albuquerque PD spokesman, said that detectives were attempting to corroborate details provided by Apodaca about each crime and verify whether any of those details were available to the public since the crimes had occurred. Chief Medina said that one of these rapes dating back to 1993 had been in the APD's Rape Kit backlog, and when they recently ran it through CODIS, the DNA database, there was a match to Apodaca.
1: I'm sorry, they had a backlog of 28 years? Yeah,
2: no. That's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So I am sure, here I am making stuff up. (laughs) However, here I go. (laughs) So they were thinking. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) I'm sure once they had the technological ability to do DNA, they weren't going back, pulling the cold cases or the unsolves and running them through in an efficient way. So it wasn't a backlog. I just think they weren't doing it. And again, I'm making this up.
1: <laughs> well, but you know what they could have done, because if they did actually have DNA from that time, I'm going to help you make this up, is that if he admitted to rapes in 92, 93, whenever that was, and they then ran those, maybe that's where it came from. But I really don't believe they have a 28-year no, backlog.
2: No, No, I think exactly now.
1: As Kathy mentioned, the police were investigating very closely every single aspect of the crimes Apodaca was confessing to committing, and they wanted to make sure they could verify every piece of evidence to ensure they had a strong case before charging Apodaca for any of the crimes. One month after his arrest, on August 30th, 2021, Paul Apodaca was indicted for the murder of Althea Oakley. Four months later, on December 20th, 2021, a grand jury indicted Apodaca for first-degree murder in the fatal shooting of Stella Gonzalez. The final indictment was issued on February 21, 2022, so just a couple of weeks before we're recording this podcast, when Apodaca was indicted for the third murder he had confessed to, Caitlin Arquette. Caitlin's sister Carrie said that it broke their hearts that Apodaca, who at the time already had a history of violent crime against women and girls, was at the crime scene and spoke to police. Officers took his contact info and let him leave. Carrie said that the detective who'd found Caitlin in her car later explained the interaction in a deposition where he stated that Apodaca just happened to be passing by.
2: As to 13-year-old victim Stella Gonzalez, Apodaca's attorney, Nicholas Hart, said that the investigation files turned over to the defense by the Albuquerque police showed that her friend, who was with her at the time of her murder, implicated a man who lived in the same apartment complex as them. Stella's friend, who has since passed away, told police at the time that she was afraid of the man, and witnesses said the man had bragged about killing Stella. This man had apparently been with the girls earlier that day.
1: You know, one of the other things I read, Kathy, is that with Stella's case, there were three men in a car who had driven by the two girls before she was shot. This car was not the same as Apodaca. And he did not look like any of the men who were in the car.
2: Nicholas Hart, the attorney for Apodaca, also said that when he was picked up on the probation violation in July, he had started talking about these cases but the University of New Mexico police officer's call was recorded. Now, on that recording, the officer said he thought Apodaca needed medical attention, and he said, this guy is crazy. In addition, when the police interviewed Apodaca later, he appeared intoxicated, was possibly suffering from heat stroke, and could hardly keep his eyes open or drink water without help. Despite police saying that Apodaca had confessed to the three cold case murders, attorney Hart said there are legal issues surrounding the interviews and the cases are not nearly as clear cut as detectives have presented them to be. I'm assuming at this point he's you know, creating a defense for some type of coerced confession or whatever, involuntary confession. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Or maybe there was no Miranda. We don't know. We don't know. It was the, the reporting was too vague on this point. Attorney Hart said that Apodaca had asked for medical attention and was threatening to kill himself. But when paramedics arrived to provide medical care and take him to the hospital, one of the detectives told the paramedics to stay outside while she talked to Apodaca for 45 minutes. Hart also pointed out that these cases are more than 30 years old, witnesses are dead, witnesses cannot be found, and you cannot build an entire case to try to put a man in prison for life Based on confessions from a quote, mentally ill, intoxicated homeless man, unquote.
1: Paul Opadaka is 54 and currently being held at the Leah County Correctional Facility. Investigators continue to search for corroborating evidence of any connection to the murders of these three women, as well as any other DNA matches to other crimes. Because Apodaca confessed to three murders, three separate cases have been filed. At the arraignment for each of them, he pled not guilty. A pretrial conference in the Althea Oakley case is set for August 12th. All of the cases are proceeding in Albuquerque District Court and we will keep you apprised as more information becomes available. In August of 2021, after Paul Apodaca had confessed to murdering Caitlin, Her sister, Carrie Arquette, told KRQE-TV in Albuquerque, quote, when Paul Apodaca shot my sister, he murdered my family, end quote. Carrie went on to become a criminologist because of her sister's murder. That reminds me of Shelley Shannon, who
2: became a crime scene analyst after her sister was murdered.
1: Patricia Shannon. Exactly. Right. And that's amazing. Carrie also said that her mother fought for justice for Caitlin. Until her death in 2016. Quote, My mom is here and she is looking down. End quote. Thank you for listening. If you liked us, I really hope you
2: liked us. Just recommend (laughs) us to a friend.
1: (laughs) And follow us on our social media at Killer Destinations Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.